Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to the georgine rice show podcast this program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 kpdq we hope you enjoy the show well good afternoon and welcome to the thursday edition of the georgine rice show we're glad to have you with us this afternoon clark hilton is engineering today's program james blend is producing first of all i want to thank you for your generous response to our efforts yesterday with africa new life uh, Rubavu has, uh, we met our goal there and exceeded it, as did our sister station, The Fish. So we are very grateful for your generosity. And we know that that means that children in this village in the northwestern part of Rwanda, the children there are going to eat in their school lunch program every day. That's seven days a week. And that's something they have not enjoyed for a very, very long time. And in fact, for many of the children, they have never lived in a time where that has been the case. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Today on the program, we're going to talk with Elizabeth Thompson. She's the author of When God Says Wait. Now, we don't like in the 21st century, and I imagine it was also true in the 20th, we don't like to wait. And yet we're told in Scripture that uh, when you wait on the Lord, you renew your strength, you rise up. Well, that's that's hard to do when you're in the midst of it. Well, the subtitle of her book, Navigating Life's Detours and Delays Without Losing Your Faith, Your Friends, or Your Mind. We're going to talk about waiting with Elizabeth Thompson, who, by the way, is a popular blogger. Uh, you may be familiar with her uh, work in that capacity. LizzieLife.com is her blog. Um, we're also going to talk with Sean Barnard. He's uh, the uh, contributor, rather, to Christ in the Passover, as we're anticipating the uh, remainder of uh, Holy Week and ultimately celebrating on Resurrection Sunday. We'll talk with Eric Piment. He's the author of Evidence for the Resurrection. That's coming up in the second half of the 5 o'clock hour as well. And then tomorrow, I'm excited to let you know that we're going to play a special that we have not played here before. It's brand new, The Thief on the Cross. It's a special telling the story of Holy Week and uh, obviously the crucifixion from the standpoint of one of the thieves, the one who uh, came to know and have faith in Christ uh, while hanging on the cross next to him. And we'll share that two hour special on Friday from four to six during the Georgine Rice Show time. So that's uh, what we're going to do on Good Friday as. Uh, we've been given the opportunity to uh, reflect on the occasion from our homes uh, here at the station. Well, there's a lot to, to talk about today in terms of the news, and it's difficult to know what to make of some of it. Uh, much of the information is just now being made available. Interpreting that information is a bit harder, but I will share at least some of what we know at this point. We do know that the U.S. military dropped its largest non-nuclear bomb in eastern Afghanistan today, Uh, just days after a Green Beret was killed fighting ISIS there. Now, we have been told that it's a coincidence that those two events happened in proximity to one another. One was not uh, predicated on the other. So the strike was not related to the Green Beret, who apparently in small arms fire confrontation there lost his life. The GBU-43B is a 21,000-pound conventional bomb. It was dropped on an ISIS tunnel complex in uh, uh, one of the provinces there, the Moab, as it's called, Massive Ordnance Air Blast, is also known as the mother of all bombs. It was first tested in 2003, but hadn't been used in combat before today. Well, this um, 
particular ordinance is so massive it had to be dropped out of the back of a U.S. Air Force C-130 cargo plane. Uh, One U.S. official said we kicked it out of the back door. Uh, For comparison to the 21,000 bomb Moab, uh, each Tomahawk cruise missile launched uh, at a Syrian military air base last week was 1,000 pounds each. So we're talking about one bomb that's 21,000. As ISIS uh, loses, uh, rather ISIS losses have mounted, they're using IEDs, bunkers and tunnels to thicken their defense. That's a quote from General John Nicholson. He's the commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan. He went on to say, this is the right munition to reduce these obstacles and maintain the momentum of our offensive against ISIS. The statement said U.S. forces took every precaution to avoid civilian casualties. And apparently this is a relatively remote area. Uh, Again, we don't have a lot more information about that. um, The fallout following uh, this bombing. But this is the first time this particular very large uh, bomb has been used by the United States and, to my uh, understanding, has been used at all. Meanwhile, the rift between the United States and Russia was laid bare yesterday when Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, he held his first direct talks with Russia's president. Their discussions failed to ease the deepening tensions over Syria and Washington's demand that Moscow abandon its main uh, Middle Eastern ally. There is a low level of trust between our countries, Tillerson said in a news conference later that day. Uh, at a, a conference with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, the world's two primary nuclear powers cannot have this kind of relationship. Well, the truth is they do at present have this kind of relationship. But his comment is uh, suggesting that that cannot continue. Well, the meeting on Wednesday brought no indication that the relationship would improve anytime soon. After Tillerson spent three hours talking with Lavrov and almost two hours at the Kremlin with Russian President Vladimir Putin, Uh, Lavrov, sitting three feet from Tillerson, aired a long list of grievances with the United States, some dating back many years. Unfortunately, we've got some differences with regard to a majority of those issues, Lavrov lamented. Well, the only concession that Tillerson appeared to have extracted from the Russians was that Putin uh, offered to restore a hotline aimed at avoiding accidents in the air over Syria. That's restoring a decision or or an agreement that was made under the previous administration to avoid uh, uh, one country Uh, inadvertently uh, targeting another. Russia had suspended that effort after U.S. missile strikes in uh, Syrian at the airbase following an April 4th chemical weapons attack on a village in rebel territory. Well, even this uh, tiny success was conditional. Lavrov said the deal would supply only if uh, would apply rather only if the United States and its allies targeted terrorists, not Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's forces. Well, one could uh, haggle over what to constitute a terrorist, but hopes may never have been high, especially after Russia sounded a defiant note before the Tillerson uh, arrival in Moscow. But if this was the chance to find common ground before the Trump administration attempts any new action on Syria, it has ended in failure. The Russians used Tillerson's visit as a chance to reassert Moscow's firm stance on Syria, that it will not abide by any effort to remove Assad from power. And in Russia effectively hid from uh, public view the hit that the, the uh, Kremlin uh, took to its standing in the region because of the chemical weapons attack, presumably by Assad. So it was successful in that it was the first face-to-face. It was unsuccessful in that uh, no uh, concrete agreements or movement was made on the part of the Russians, but that was not expected as this was the first of what will very likely be a series of uh, meetings between the two countries. This, again, being Tillerson's first face-to-face uh, in this capacity, I should say. Meanwhile, a vote by the U.N. Security Council on a draft resolution to condemn the, uh, the, the chemical weapons attack in Syria failed yesterday with a veto by Russia. No surprise there. 
Uh, But fellow member China abstained, a sign that talks with President Trump last week may have had an effect on the superpower. The draft resolution by Britain, France and the United States called for those responsible for the attack on the Syrian town of Khan. Uh, on the 4th of April to be identified and brought to justice. The resolution garnered 10 votes in favor, Russia and Bolivia against China, Kazakhstan and Ethiopia abstaining. Uh, with uh, its veto, Russia had uh, said no accountability, uh, no to accountability, according to the U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Russia once again has chosen the side uh, with Assad, even as the rest of the world overwhelmingly comes together to condemn this murderous regime, she said at a press conference with Secretary General of NATO, President, President Trump, rather, praised China for abstaining from the U.N. resolution. China usually sides with Russia in the Security Council, so the move to abstain represented a significant shift for Beijing. Now, the, the decision to do so in proximity to the recent meeting with President Trump may signal a relationship that is deepening, but it may not. We'll just have to wait and see. Trump said it was wonderful that China abstained. The U.S. was honored by that vote or the absence of a vote, which came after he met last week with the leader. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll talk with Elizabeth Thompson. She's the author of When God Says Wait, Navigating Life's Detours and Delays Without Losing Your Faith, Your Friends, or Your Mind. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Elizabeth Thompson. She's a popular blogger and the author of When God Says Wait. She'll join us in our next two segments. Well, the Trump administration is weighing the possibility of imposing additional sanctions on North Korea if the rogue nation continues its uh, missile testing and conducts its sixth nuclear test. We are exploring a new range of diplomatic, security and economic measures in response to the North Korean regime's continued provocations. North Korea must understand that the only path to a secure, economically prosperous future is to abandon its development of nuclear weapons, ballistic missiles and other weapons of mass destruction. An administration official making a statement uh, speaking to uh, the Fox Business Network. Among the sanctions under considered uh, consideration, rather, reportedly are an oil embargo, a ban on North Korea's national airline Air Koryok, and uh, a crackdown on uh, companies or individuals who do business with North Korea or lend financial support to its nuclear proliferation program. There's a whole host of things that are possible all the way up to what's essentially a trade quarantine on North Korea. One administration official said, speaking to Reuters news agency, which was first to report the potential new sanctions, tensions in the Korean peninsula are increasing on uh, on uh, their on edge this week. And as North Korea prepares to celebrate the birthday of Kim Il-sung, its founding father, on Saturday, there's an expectation there'll be another test of some kind. The anniversary has been marked in past years by military parades, displays of its weapons, including a 2016 uh, testing of a new intermediate range missile. Well, on Thursday, China's foreign ministry uh, issued a statement after the call asserting President Xi believes that North Korea's um, issue can be solved through peaceful means and is ready to maintain communications and coordination with the United States on the issue. President Trump tweeted that he has a great confidence that China will properly deal with North Korea, but said uh, that uh, if they are unable to do so, the United States with its allies will. Uh, Speaking at an afternoon event at the White House, President Trump said, frankly, North Korea is a problem. The problem will be taken care of. State Department spokesman Mark Toner also said during the Thursday briefing that the administration remains concerned about North Korea. And although he did not offer details about the vice president's upcoming trip to Asia, he reaffirmed that the U.S. commitment is to its allies. He said 
uh, in a message, um, uh, and that a message rather will be sent to North Korea that the steadfast ironclad support for Japan and South Korea remains absolute. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops. Well, many are questioning whether or not Donald Trump is shifting in terms of his campaign priorities uh, and his uh, governing principles. The White House on Wednesday ordered a plan to reduce this and streamline the federal government, replacing the hiring freeze that the president implemented upon taking office in January. Billions and billions of dollars are being wasted on activities that are not delivering results for hardworking American taxpayers, he said. Um, He has uh, put his Office of Management and Budget in charge of the effort. The directive was ordered on Wednesday, along with a 14-page plan to federal agencies that details the president's objective to hire in areas of high priority and cut back in others. The agencies now have until the 30th of June to develop a draft plan to maximize the performance of government workers and a total of 180 days to submit final plans to the White House, according to the directive. The final plans and input from the American people and each agency will be part of Trump's fiscal 2019 budget, the directive also states. Well, the hiring freeze was sort of a way to stop everything while the new management team came in, said Mr. Uh, uh, Mulvaney, director of the Office of Management and Budget. Now that uh, we've had a couple of months, some folks are going to be allowed to hire back, he said, but in other areas, we're going to have these strategical surgical reductions in the workforce. Well, the memorandum that Trump signed in January imposed an across-the-board hiring freeze for essentially the entire federal government except for the military and for positions deemed necessary for national security and public safety. As part of the memorandum, he gave Mulvaney three months to come up with a long-term plan to reduce the federal government's size. The directive doesn't include agency-specific goals or limits, but Mulvaney has made clear the agencies targeted for significant budget cuts are Trump's first budget proposal such as the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, will likely be expected to make significant cuts to their workforces. And agencies that Trump wants to spend more on, like the Department of Veterans Affairs, would be expected to see their payrolls rise. His budget blueprint calls for a 6% increase in VA funding, mostly to pay for rising health care costs to treat veterans. The VA is one of three agencies slated for more money amid a major cuts to other domestic programs. Well, headlines splashed uh, across much of the mainstream media this morning uh, stated essentially that um, Donald Trump has flipped his position on several campaign issues. Two of the Trump policy changes were highlighted in headlines in Bloomberg, Bloomberg rather, uh, that read Trump's reversal on China currency has last has uh, lasted abandoned promise. Um, And the other from the Washington Post's headline, Trump on NATO. I said it was obsolete. It's no longer obsolete. Well, given Trump's typical off-the-cuff manner, the the, uh, Patriot Post suggests in trying to explain what appear to be flip-flops, it's attempting to assume that he's sliding into the realm of all flip-flopping politicians. But the truth, at least in this, these two cases, they write, is more nuanced. In the case of China, Trump can't think of its currency in a vacuum, but as part of his effort to contain North Korea. The U.S. and China will have to cooperate to some extent, meaning labeling China a currency manipulator is off the table for now. And as, the, as for NATO, a huge part of Trump's strategy in Syria is to put pressure on Vladimir Putin. NATO is key to that cal- uh, calculation, thus it's no longer obsolete, just as he argued from the beginning. As uh, with every campaign, the rhetoric of a politician is often uh, overly simplified, designed to present a big picture issue in the most appealing way, while avoiding getting bogged down in the minutia of truly complex issues. Trump, like Barack Obama before him, proved to be skilled at connecting with Americans and getting his base message 
out clearly, make America great again. But unlike Obama, Trump truly was a non-establishment Washington insider. Like anyone coming into a new job, there are things learned once on the job that can be can prove to change one's perspective. To some degree, Trump is learning on the job, as have all other presidents before him. But it would be naive to suggest that Trump's apparent flip-flop in policy positions is due entirely to his newfound experience in being Uh, In office, Trump is a businessman who is more a pragmatist than an ideologue. He understands negotiating tactics, knowing when to hold them, when to fold them. And unlike Obama, Trump appears to truly listen to and trust the expertise of his cabinet and advisors. On a final note, the Patriot Post um, Post points out, attempting to explain these apparent shifts uh, in his, uh, his point of view, uh, Trump's shifting rhetoric on both China and NATO are encouraging and wise moves, but neither necessarily indicates that he has actually changed his policy position. This type of talking tough and then moving to the middle ground may have been his intention from the beginning. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what uh, how to interpret some of these shifts, but it certainly illustrates why people are often frustrated with uh, with politics. Uh, it is true that there are complexities that occur once in office. I remember President Obama offering advice that once you uh, get into the office, things change in ways that you don't anticipate. But one can only hope a politician, president or otherwise, says what he means, means what he says, and at least explains why a shift is being made if it's dramatic or otherwise. And finally, the uh, cartel member suspected of shooting and killing Border Patrol agent Brian Terry back in 2010 with a gun supplied by the U.S. government was arrested in Mexico yesterday, according to senior law enforcement, Border Patrol and congressional sources. The suspect uh, was apprehended by a joint U.S.-Mexico law enforcement task force that included the Drug Enforcement Administration, U.S. Marshals and the Border Patrol tactics. Unit. A $250,000 reward had been sought for information leading to the arrest of this perpetrator who was uh, captured at a ranch on the border of the Mexican states of uh, Sinaloa and Chihuahua. U.S. authorities have said they will seek his extradition. Terry was killed in December of 2010 in a fire, or rather a gunfight between Border Patrol agents and members of a five-man cartel. Uh, They called it a rip crew, which uh, regularly patrolled the desert along the U.S.-Mexico border looking for drug dealers to rob. The agent's death exposed Operation Fast and Furious. It was a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives operation in which the federal government allowed criminals to buy guns in Phoenix uh, area shops with the intention of tracking them once they made their way into Mexico. But the agency lost track of the more than 1,400 of the 2,000 guns they allowed smugglers to buy. Two of those guns were found at the scene of Terry's killing. The operation set off a political firestorm, although it wasn't enough of a firestorm. And then Attorney General Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress after he refused to divulge documents for a congressional investigation. Four members of the RIP crew already have been sentenced to uh, jail time in the U.S. Uh, Another was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison after pleading guilty to first-degree murder in February of 2014. In October of the following year, yet another pair was convicted by a federal jury of nine different charges, including first-degree murder and attempted armed robbery. Uh, Finally, the accused, uh, the individual accused of assembling the so-called RIP crew was sentenced to 27 years in prison after uh, striking a plea agreement with prosecutors. The last remaining member of that uh, RIP crew is believed to still be at large. But again, the Fast and Furious scandal uh, back in headlines. This time, the suspected trigger man uh, has been uh, found by border agents um, and is currently being held on the other side of the border. Uh, I think I have time for one other thing, that uh, special election uh, that was uh, 
suggesting this is going to be a referendum on whether or not Donald Trump as president is uh, signaling a change in the midterm elections. Well, it was a tad worrisome election for Republicans, but the Republican did emerge as the winner in that race. Hugh Hewitt uh, says this on the uh, the face off. Reasonable minds can differ, but a five point seven percent win. Uh, when turnout drops from 20, uh, 275,000 to about 113,000, doesn't send much of a signal other than fatigue. And Michael Barone said in special elections, candidates of the president's party tend to do worse than the president had. The opposition candidate is better positioned to adapt to local terrain and to rally enthusiasm of those critical of the president who may not want the opposition party to have a majority, which it can't gain in a single special election, but want to uh, give it a, a bit of a jolt. Well, the narrowness of the victory is uh, in line with that tendency. So this isn't unusual given the timing of it. But the fact that Estes ran only very marginally behind the controversially unpopular uh, opponent um, and far ahead of him in the smaller uh, the smaller counties where Trump also ran far ahead of traditional Republicans suggests that the uh, Trump's strength in rural America remains strong. Uh, Not necessarily a, a bellwether, but uh, if it had been reversed, it certainly would have been touted as one uh, sort of a, a signal of things to come in the midterm elections. 31 minutes after four o'clock. Up next, we'll talk with Elizabeth Thompson, her book, When God Says Wait. And he does. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest points out that we don't like to wait, whether we're talking about standing in line for coffee or uh, it's a big job promotion. We want what we want right now. But waiting is sometimes something that everyone faces and can be a really important season. Well, in her new book, When God Says Wait, popular LizzieLife.com blogger Elizabeth Liang Thompson, she combines her own stories of waiting with accounts of some of the Bible's most prominent waiters like David, Moses, Miriam, and Naomi, and others, um, who all found themselves facing a uh, rather pacing around God's waiting room. Waiting seasons force us to wrestle with God, with scripture and with ourselves. And we're going to talk a bit about the value of waiting and how to do it in a way that uh, uh, retains our sanity. The subtitle of her book, Navigating Life's Detours and Delays Without Losing Your Faith, Your Friends or Your Mind. Well, Elizabeth Thompson writes uh, at LizzieLife.com about clinging to Christ through the chaos of daily life. As a minister, speaker, and novelist, she loves finding humor and holiness, hope in headache. She lives in North Carolina with her preacher husband and four spunky kids. She joins us today to talk about her latest book, When God Says Wait. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Now, as, as I mentioned, excuse me, in the introduction, part of what motivated you to write this book is having uh, had to wait uh, yourself and how you've learned uh, through your own experience what that's like. Why do you think God uh, calls us sometimes to wait? And what is the purpose generally of our having to postpone our uh, our gratification or the things that we want? Oh, goodness. It's tough to say because there are so many different reasons that I think God can can have for our different waiting seasons. Um, and, and that's one of the challenges, I think, when you're waiting is you, you sit there and you're scratching your head and you're going, why did I do something wrong? Is this a punishment? You know, and you're trying to figure out that meaning. And yet I, I think sometimes the best we can do is say, you know, 
I don't understand this, and maybe one day I will, maybe one day I won't. You know, sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty. sometimes it's not, but how can I use this time for God and for good? And that's when those waiting times become the most valuable for us. Mm. I think for many of us, when we are waiting, we assume this is a waste of time. This is the, the season when nothing's happening, I'm wasting my time until whatever I'm looking forward to happens, and then we can move on. And yet that waiting time in and of itself can be useful? Absolutely. I think Joseph is a wonderful example in Scripture of this. You know, he spent so many years in in slavery, and then it even got worse for him. He went to prison, and yet, he, instead of just sitting there feeling like, well, my life is over, it's wasted, I don't ever see a way out of this, I'm just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself, Joseph chose to grow. He chose to flourish right where he was. And I think that's one of the most challenging things um, to wrap our heads and hearts around. But if we can do it, then we really do redeem that lost time. And we grow and we make it a, a time when God is really honored and glorified. In each uh, chapter of When God Says Wait, you begin with an, uh, the account of uh, a character in the Bible who's uh, example shows us a, a season of waiting. Um, talk a little bit about these these uh, instances in the Bible where uh, we are given examples of those who are called upon to wait and what we might learn from just recognizing that there are seasons in which that's precisely what God intends for us. Oh, this was one of my favorite parts of writing the book was just diving into the lives of these Bible characters. I think sometimes when we've read the Bible over and over again, we forget that these people were just living their life the same way you and I are. Uh, they didn't know the ending. They didn't know, oh, hey, Joseph gets to become the number two guy in Egypt. You know, his story ends, has a happy ending. He didn't know that. And so, to me, that's one of the great um, opportunities that the Bible gives us is to see these people who are caught in difficult situations and how they handled it. We can learn, uh, you know, from Sarah, we can learn, wow, there are some big mistakes we can make when we wait, and yet God can redeem those times, and he, he still um, brought about a great, uh, joyful ending for Sarah and Abraham, giving them a son after a long struggle with infertility, um, and, and so many characters. Uh, we see that, that they suffered through this long time, and yet God brought them out on the other other side of it, having grown and even experienced some joy in the end. Mm. At the end of each of your chapters, you offer uh, opportunities for going a bit deeper. One for further study, journal prompts, and prayer prompt. Uh, Describe how that helps us as we're going through each chapter, looking at the Bible character, looking perhaps at uh, some of the waiting experiences that you've had that causes us to just stop and reflect in a way that that makes it more personal. Yeah, during waiting seasons, we have so much going on in our heads and our hearts, and it can be hard to untangle it all. And I have found um, in in my waiting seasons, especially when in going through infertility, um, in the time when I was waiting um, for a, my career to get going, took many, many years, um, I found that just sitting there with the Bible and then with a pen in my hand and really writing out my thoughts and even writing out my prayers helped me to sort through and to think clearly and and even to find hope during those times. Because sometimes we can get real tangled up and stuck in our own hearts and heads. But writing it down and working it out with God in that way really does make a difference. 
You also encourage uh, readers to, to pray. How should we pray about these seasons of waiting? Oh, we should pray honestly. Uh, I think one of the things that we can struggle with is feeling like, uh, does God really, does he even care, you know? And and can I express to him the depth of my frustration and the, even the depth of my sorrow or my grief over what feels like lost time? And I really encourage people to look at the Psalms and the example of these raw, honest prayers that the psalmist prayed, you know, those are in there for a reason. They are God's invitation to us to say, you can bring it all to me. Bring your real, raw feelings to me. And, you know, I love that Jesus, time and again, he encourages us to keep praying, to be persistent. I know there have been times when I've thought, maybe God's sick of hearing from me. I've prayed this same Mm -hmm. prayer a thousand thousands of times. And yet Jesus says, you keep praying, you be that persistent widow, and just see what happens. You don't know what God's answer will be, but he wants to keep hearing from you. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about a time when you've had to wait. Well, the the one that I talk about a lot in the book and that has uh-huh. come up time and again in my own heart is just the wait to have children. Uh, it took us years of trying and waiting and wondering and looking around and seeing all of our friends, friends who were younger than us, friends who didn't even want to be pregnant, everybody else seemed to be able to have a baby just by looking at their spouse. And, you know, here we were going from doctor to doctor, and it was just such a heartbreaking, mystifying time. And um, it wasn't always pretty. I didn't always handle it beautifully. I feel like God taught me a lot. Um, But, you know, he humbled me, and and it also was just a great opportunity to learn to relate to other people's sorrows and struggles that I had never had a real reference point before. That was was a really difficult season of waiting for me. Mm. Why do you think it's so important um, when we are called upon to wait uh, for something? Again, it seems that it's a common theme in Scripture. I think if we look around, it's a common theme among many of us that there are seasons of waiting. Why do you think that's so important? Well, you know, it's it's kind of like God is our Father, and it's kind of like us with our children. Um, I recognize that it's even though I adore my children, and I never want to see them sad, even for one, 1. 1.5 seconds, there are times when they're just not ready for something yet, maturity-wise or uh, age-wise, whatever. They're just not ready for it, or it's just not good for them right now for various reasons. And I think in our waiting seasons, we have to trust that God is our Heavenly Father. He sees things in us and sees things in His big plan for our life that we just can't see. And so sometimes, as much as He hates to make us unhappy, as much as He hates to see us cry and wants to give us everything right away, as soon as we want it and need it, He has to say, you know, you've got to wait, and I'm doing this out of love and care for you. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation, but do need to take a quick break. We're talking uh, with my guest, Elizabeth Lang uh, Thompson. The book is titled, When God Says Wait, Navigating Life's Detours and Delays Without Losing Your Faith, Your Friends, or Your Mind. She's a popular blogger. You can find her at lizzylife.com. We'll talk more about that when we return as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Elizabeth Thompson. Her book is When God Says Wait, Navigating Life's Detours and Delays Without Losing Your Faith, Your Friends, 
or your mind. I mentioned earlier that you are a popular blogger. How did your blog lead you into writing a book that uh, challenges us to consider what it means to wait? Well, you know, I really use my blog as a way to wrestle with some of the faith questions and difficulties that either I'm dealing with myself or my family is dealing with. And so I think it just kind of led naturally into this. All right, what's what's a common theme in my life, something that I've really struggled with, something that honestly is I consider more of a, a weakness than a strength. And 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 thus a book about waiting was born. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, out of all the character stories at the beginning of each chapter, did you have a favorite or one that you could relate to more than the others? Oh, goodness. I... I've referenced Sarah and Joseph. Those are two of my my very favorites. Um, I think what I really love about Sarah's story, uh, I mentioned earlier, is just, you know, Sarah had this direct promise from God, you and Abraham will have a son. And after so many years of waiting for that promise to come true, she, she stumbled and she made a big mistake and she said, Abraham, have a, have a baby with, you know, my servant girl, Hagar. And, and she had to live with some really painful consequences for many, many years. And yet, God didn't unmake his promise to Sarah. Even though she fell so hard, he still lifted her back up. Even though she even laughed at God at one point when he said, oh, this by this time next year, you're going to have a son. She laughed. She was like, there's no way. I'm too old. And yet God honored that promise. She ended her life laughing with God out of joy and amazement at his goodness. What a, a comforting story, an inspiring story for all of us who mm. wait. Yeah, and, and don't necessarily wait well. <laughs> right, exactly, because it's not always pretty. I have certainly made my share of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, haven't we all? Um, you make the point that waiting seems to be a leveling ground for all of us. Is it possible that in the process of waiting that um, the, the that season is actually better than the, the thing that we were waiting for? Is there so much value or can there be enough value in the waiting that uh, arriving at the destination might even seem a bit anticlimactic if we're really listening to what God is saying during that season? It certainly can be that way. You know, one of the things that I tell people is waiting can be very good for you if you allow it to be, you know, and I, the truth is I haven't always allowed it to be. Mm -hmm. There have been points in my different weights where I have fought it and resented it and resisted it so hard. You know, I was just sort of like, ah, grin and bear it, grit your teeth and get through it. And I haven't grown. But in those times when I've said, okay, God, I'm I'm not thrilled with being here, but this is where you have me. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to look for ways to be grateful. I'm going to look for ways to grow, to connect with people and with you. When I've handled it in that way, then absolutely I look back on those times of waiting as a really rich time. Not necessarily the most fun time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a rich time when God did some great things in my heart and in my relationships. Now, you just described several things that you have done in the process of waiting. My guess is there are listeners today who are in that waiting room, that very uncomfortable place. Um, They are are, uh, certain that God has made certain promises to us, but it it seems less likely given the fact that they've had to wait. How would you encourage them to wait and reiterate some of the things that you mentioned just now that we should be doing in this process while we're waiting? Sure. Sure. 
You know, I think sometimes when we're waiting, we tend to obsess over the wrong questions, the questions that we can't answer, that no one but God can answer. Uh, we, we torture ourselves asking why and why me and how long. And what I would encourage you to do if you are in the middle of a season of waiting and you're frustrated and confused, I would encourage you to focus on answering these two questions. How will I wait and who will I become along the way? Because those are things that we, we can control. We can make choices about how we wait, what attitude we have, and, and what we allow to happen in our hearts and our characters as we're in this difficult time. And the other thing I would want to encourage people with is just know that God sees you, God hears you, and God cares for you. He may seem silent. He may seem distant or, you know, hard to reach, but he's not. He sees, he hears, he cares. One of the chapters I especially appreciated, and in this season, perhaps more than uh, other times, was Finding Joy in the Journey, your chapter on Mary's story and uh, treasured things. Talk a, a bit about her. I think when it comes to your children, it can be difficult to wait when you don't have control over what's happening and or perhaps a, an observer. Talk a bit about Mary and, and what we can learn from her in this idea of waiting. Oh, I, I love Mary's story. You know, she was someone who was called by God uh, to bear his son and, and to bear the great joy, but also the great responsibility and even the burden of, wow, raising the Son of God and, and knowing, she didn't know this, but losing him early. And, and we see this scripture where it says that Mary, several times, in, in the New Testament tells us that she treasured these things about Jesus in her heart. And I think that's such a beautiful example of um, just the attitude that we can have that you know, we may not know how it's all going to end. Uh, we may feel like God has put a, a burden or a responsibility or a difficulty on us that we weren't prepared for. But if we can find a way to stop and savor small moments, whether that's as a mother parenting our children, not knowing how their story is going to turn out, or whatever role we find ourselves in, if we can find and capture these small moments of joy and treasure them in our hearts, then we can find joy in our journeys. Even if the journey is difficult, there are always small blessings to see along the way if we'll pay attention the way that Mary did. Mm -hmm. You have four kids. They're under the age of 10. How do you balance your writing and your busy life? You know, the book is one thing, blogging regularly. This isn't your first book, so you're quite prolific. How do you balance it all? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, balance. I, I've heard someone say it's like a unicorn. No, Everyone says it exists, but no one's seen one. You know? <laughs> and balance, is I think it's a tough thing, and it's something that I'm always striving for. I, thankfully, I have a wonderfully supportive husband who has a flexible schedule, and so we really try to work together as partners in raising our kids and both of us having our jobs and so that neither one of us are just burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a challenge. <laughs> now, for listeners, uh, who are interested in following you more closely, what's the best way for them to connect with you? I would suggest certainly the book, When God Says Wait. But as a blogger, what, what else might they find? Sure. They can come find me, of course, on my website, lizzielife.com. I'm on Facebook. Um, 
I, I love connecting with other people on Facebook. Um, you can just find my name, Elizabeth Lang Thompson, writer at Lizzie Life is, is my Facebook name. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, again, just my name, Elizabeth Lang Thompson. So I'm pretty easy to find, and I absolutely love connecting with people and responding to readers and people who are waiting, yeah. <laughs> sharing their journeys with them. What do you hope readers of When God Says Wait will take away uh, from your book as they navigate life and find that there are seasons of waiting? I hope it gives people hope. I hope that when they read this book, they think, oh, I'm not the only one who has struggled. I'm not the only one who doesn't always do this elegantly. I'm not the only one who who doubts sometimes and struggles in my faith. And I hope it points them, most of all, to Scripture, to God, and to a healthy sense of humor. <laughs> Yeah, as they navigate these times. That's absolutely and, and essential. Just, yes. I mean, if you lose your sense of humor while you're waiting, then you're totally done. you got to keep <laughs> laughing. <laughs> that makes it manageable. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And I, um, I want to encourage you to continue to do what you're doing and encourage us to uh, just press into Christ, whether we're waiting or moving forward. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me tonight. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Again, the book Bye. is titled When God Says Wait. Elizabeth Lang Thompson is the book, and it is published by Shiloh. Lizzie, uh, what is it? Uh, LizzieLife.org, if you're interested in the blog as well. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.